We're in Matthew 13. Still talking about the pearl of great price. Matthew 13, verses 45 and 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. I'm going to call this tonight just the value of the pearl. We're going to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. Just a little talk about the infinite worth and excellencies of our Lord Jesus Christ, the pearl of great price. This is in respect of his person. He being the most high God or the only begotten of the Father, very God, yet truly man in one glorious person. Does the Bible ever speak in a particular verse about that? Well, look at Isaiah 9, 6. Isaiah 9, 6. All these descriptions are in one verse concerning our Lord Jesus Christ. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. Now there's... The there's the humanity of our Lord Jesus Christ, and there's the deity. The child born is the humanity. The son given is the divinity. Two persons, two natures, I mean, in one person. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the everlasting Father, this Son, this child born, this Son given, the one born in the stable and laid in a manger is to be called the everlasting Father. Can you believe that? The mighty God, the Prince of Peace. Which title does the world take today? The Prince of Peace. They are not going to acknowledge him as the mighty God. They're not going to acknowledge him as the everlasting Father. But the Prince of Peace. You can say that real fast and doesn't mean too much to you. People are looking for peace. They can't find it in this world and they never will. The only peace you'll ever have is being reconciled to a holy God whom you have offended by your sin. That's how we get peace. One day there will be peace on earth and he will be the Prince of Peace. He is God and man. One person with two natures. A human nature and a divine nature. His human nature was untainted. Ours is. But because he was born of a virgin, no human father's blood. Untainted. The Lord Jesus Christ is the only human being like that, that God personally fathered. I want you to look at Luke 1, verse 34 and 35. 
Just as a thought I don't think you've ever had before because I never did. Luke 1, 34 and 35. Mary asked, how can this possibly be, seeing that I'm not married and I'm still a virgin? How can I have a child? The angel answers her in verse 35. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. All right? He is called, now listen, the only begotten of the Father, or he's called the only begotten son. You see, God never did that before. And he's never done it again, and he never will do it again. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one and only begotten son of the Father. It only happened once. That's why he's called the only begotten son, because God fathered him. Got it? Didn't father anybody else. The Lord Jesus Christ is called the brightness of the Father's glory. And the express image of his person. Look at Hebrews 1, verses 2 and 3. Hebrews 1, 2 and 3. Yeah, I might as well read verse 1. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Kind of just throwing in a few extra thoughts for you before he gets to what he wants to talk about. Yeah, he's the creator. He made the worlds. He's the heir of all things. Of all things. The whole universe and whatever else is out there is his. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. That's what we're talking about. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Brightness of his glory. Express image of his person. And upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. That's some kind of God. Can you imagine that person, that powerful, creative, creator person, having an interest in you and I as an individual? Enough so that he wrote our names down in the Lamb's Book of Life before the world was ever created. He knows all about you. He knows all about me. And the fact that he does is scary. That's what's scary because what little we know of ourselves isn't too good. You would not want to put it in an autobiography. God knows all about us, this powerful, wonderful person. What does that mean, the express image of his person? It means he is eternal or from everlasting, sovereign, omniscient or ever-present, 
infinitely holy, infinitely wise, and that means infinitely just and true, good and patient. Now, in Christ, all the glorious perfections of the blessed God shine forth. Now, think about the patience of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has power over all flesh. You see, anything that a human being has power over, they don't need patience. They don't use patience. They don't have to. But our Lord Jesus Christ has power over all flesh. Look at John 17, 1, 2. John 17, 2. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. How about all the rest of the flesh that the Father didn't give to him? They're condemned already. They're condemned already because they're unbelievers and they're sinners. They're willful sinners and they don't come to Christ because the Father did not give them to him. And everyone that he gave to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit in time quickens their heart and draws them to Christ. There's no hope so, maybe so, maybe some will, maybe some won't. It's already completed. But you and I don't know who they are. I didn't know that Christ died for me. There was a good many years, at least 20 years or 25 years in my life, that I didn't know anything about the Lord Jesus Christ except a little bit about Christmas and Easter. It didn't dawn on me that I needed to be redeemed, bought back from the sin market in this world. That's what the difference is. Now, we're saying about the patience of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm talking about his having power over all flesh. You know, people that have power don't need to have patience. They can just get rid of people or just get lost from them. But our Lord isn't like that. You know how downgraded he was while he was here on earth? The insults and the misunderstandings, the cruel treatment and the painful death. But even now, since that's over, his name is blasphemed. His authority, power, and dignity laughed at. His book discarded the Holy Bible as well as his commandments. And his members or blood-bought sheep are persecuted and trodden underfoot by the world. Now, most of the world, most of the people of all nations in the world curse by using the name of Jesus Christ. I've seen Japanese when I was in Japan that couldn't speak a word of English and I could hear them swearing, Jesus Christ. They all learn that name. No matter who or where, they curse in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Of all names to curse in, the one that the Bible says, don't use God's name to curse with. And they do it. The whole world does it. 
I was just in a lady's home a couple hours ago signing a paper for a truck. She says, sit down at the table. What's this? She says, oh, I got to wipe it off first. She gets a rag and she starts scrubbing that little bit. She says, Jesus, what is this? I said, oh, my goodness. Seemed like a mighty sweet lady. But Christ don't mean anything to her. You see, that's using the Lord's name. Totally in vain cursing. It seems that patience and long-suffering go together with our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at 2 Peter 3, 9. 2 Peter 3, 9 is going to explain to you a little something about patience. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward usward. Anybody who's long-suffering is patient. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, that means that God is letting a lot of sinners go deeply in their sin and then nothing's happening to them. Well, take a look at Romans 9.22 and that'll explain that. Romans 9.22 where it says, What if God willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. Now, nations can go on for hundreds of years, and the Lord doesn't destroy them, but eventually it all turns about where their sin is the cause of their destruction. But it says, God endures with much long-suffering, and that's why I tie long-suffering in with the patience of our God. It's just in different words. But patience is only one of the long list of personal excellencies of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to turn to John 1.14. John 1.14. And the Word was made flesh And dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. One of these glorious things about our Lord. Is the mysteriousness. Of the assumption of the human nature. Into union with the divine nature. Now the human nature did not become divine. And the divine nature did not become you, uh, did not become human. But they both existed in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Word was made flesh, becoming what He was not. In taking our nature to His own, to be His own, therefore He dwelt among us. If once He became flesh, He had to dwell among us. He became one of us. Will you ever understand that? If we were nice people, if we didn't sin, 
if we didn't curse, if we loved God with all of our heart, could you understand maybe him coming? But to people, sinners like you and I, deep-dyed, sin-loving sinners, the Lord Jesus Christ came to take our place in suffering eternal wrath. See, that's what, what he did. When it says he took our sins on, it means he took the punishment of our sin. Our Lord is the great storehouse of all sacred truth. This is another wonderful, excellent quality about him. As God, he is the truth. As the God-man or mediator, he makes known all truth. Look at John 1.18. John 1.18 says, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. That's what I'm saying. The Son of God declares God to us in all truth. And then I've got John 14, 6. You don't even have to turn there. You know that one, huh? No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's what our Lord tells you. The instructions are very clear and simple in the Bible. No way to the Father. No way to God but through the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't go around him. can't go under him. can't go over him. You can't. Go through him, but you must go by him. You can't bypass him. Christ is the light of truth. Turn to Colossians 2 3. Colossians 2 3. It says, In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That is, whatsoever is needful for us to know concerning God or our justification, eternal life, or of his will or counsels and what we are to believe and practice. There's where he is, all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's wrapped up in Christ. It's wrapped up in God's word, the living word. Our Lord Jesus Christ is also the power of truth. When a soul is quickened, it has light. If it never gets quickened, it remains dead, barren, and dark. Once again, John 17, 2. John 17, 2. We've been there. We're going back again. Why? Because it tells us that our Lord Jesus Christ has all power over all flesh. And that is why he can give eternal life to as many as the Father gives to him. I'm going to read it to you now. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Now, does that qualify a certain number? It sure does. 
We don't know who the Lord, who the Father gave to the Lord Jesus Christ, but He does, and He died for every one of them. And we're trying to locate Him way down here, two thousand years later, by preaching the gospel to see whose heart gets touched and who the Lord Jesus Christ died for. That's what we're here to preach for, to weed them out, to find those that were given to Christ by the Father. Now, our Lord shows most excellent qualities as prophet, priest, and king. All three offices that depend upon his personal excellencies as God and man. As being God, he has all power as a king to subdue us to himself and to vanquish all our enemies, whether without or within, as sin, Satan, the world, death, and the grave. Turn to Romans 8 and look at verse 31. Romans 8 and verse 31. One of the finest passages in all the Bible. Security for a believer. We're going to read to the end of the chapter. We're going to start at verse 31. But it builds up. It's wonderful. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, and that's a big if, you get him on your side, you get on God's side. If God be for us, who can be against us? I want to tell you, nobody can. Not yourself. Not your own wicked heart. Not Satan. Not the world. Not your husband, your wife, your children your friends, it doesn't make any difference. Nobody can be against you. It doesn't make any difference if they are or not, if God is for you. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And who shall lay anything to the charge of God's... Oh, what's that word? What's that next word? It says elect. Why does Paul keep using that word? Because that's what he means to use. God has an elect people. It is God that justifieth. <coughs> Excuse me. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. We have a living mediator, a living God-man mediator. Our Lord Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the majesty on high in a body. Our Lord Christ has a body that resembles the body that you and I have. It does not have any blood. It's a resurrected body. He's there to represent you and I before the throne of God's grace. He says, who also maketh intercession for us. There's nobody else makes intercession for us. No, not none of the saints like you've heard. Not the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ. No, she can't make any intercession either. If you can find it in the Bible, show it to me. But she's not even heard of. 
she's not even heard of after the uh, the eighth chapter of Acts where they're up in the upper room. Uh, that's the end of Mary. No more Mary. You don't hear about her. Where do they get all this from? They make it up. They make up stories. Make them real interesting for you. Have her appearing all over the world. I want to tell you something. Mary hasn't appeared nowhere. Mary's in a grave and she's waiting the day of resurrection like any other saint. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Here's another of these great questions. Can't be done. Should tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? These things usually separate a lot of people in this world, but they're not going to separate you from Christ. As it is written, for thy sake, we're killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, what things? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, the sword, all these things were more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can you add anything to that list? Did we leave out anything that could possibly separate you from the love of our Lord Jesus Christ? No, I don't think so. We've spanned the heavens. We've spanned all the creatures. Can't find another one that could possibly separate you from the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that a great scripture? Now, being God, our Lord Jesus Christ is able to execute his prophetical office. For one thing, he took charge of all believers from the beginning of the world. Did you know that? Took charge of them all. Look at 1st, 2nd Timothy 1 9. 2nd Timothy 1 9 takes us back before the world was even created. And our Lord did something for us who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. And not according to our works. We have nothing to do with our salvation. But according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus when? Before the world began. Can you see it? Can't you just read it? It's there. Get your Bible and see that these things were given to the saints before the world began. You see, our Lord knows all things that happened before, know all things that's going to happen. In fact, he describes a lot of these things that happened before to us in the Bible, and he describes all the things that are going to happen after we're gone. You see, this book is the complete history book from beginning to end, and they won't let you read it in a school. They say you shouldn't read it. Bad literature. It's the most wonderful book in the world. The most precious possession that anybody can own. If you had to give up everything but one thing in this world, 
Keep your Bible. Let it all go. Second thing, he was to teach and to guide them all by his spirit. Every elect soul has to be taught by God's spirit. There's no way of getting out of school. Now, I know there's some that appear to get into school, but they drop out mighty fast. There is a school called Holy Spirit Conviction where God teaches his people. They spend a good bit of time there, I want to tell you. Look at John sixteen thirteen. John sixteen thirteen. How be it? When he the Spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself. But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. The Holy Spirit never puts the spotlight on himself. Never. Any church that's called the Church of the Holy Spirit or anything like that, hey, forget it. Not even in name should the Holy Spirit be used. He doesn't take any credit whatsoever. And yet he's God. But look at the work he does. He's our teacher. Verse 14, he shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it to you. I want you to back up one page to John 14, 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father shall send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring... All things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Of course, the disciples had a lot of things to bring to remembrance. But this part about shall teach you all things applies to you and me just as well. How can anybody deny the Trinity when you read that particular verse? The Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. There you are. The Holy Ghost, the Father, and the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. All in one verse. And there's people out there, religious people, who say there's no Trinity. Well, I feel sad for them. Because God has not opened their understandings. All right, another thing our Lord does by his Spirit is to open darkened minds. Turn to 2 Corinthians 4, 6. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts. Now, you see, the first time God commanded light to shine out of darkness was at the recreation of the world. It says, darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Lord said, let there be light, and there was light. That was a marvel of creation. And as big as that seems, here he takes to an individual... And he does the same thing 
by shining into our hearts and scattering the darkness to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He teaches us about Christ. We learn about Christ. There's a process to coming to God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to have knowledge. And being God, what a priest he is. We're talking about prophet, priest, and king. Here's, here he is as priest. He's both the altar, the sacrifice, and the priest that offers the sacrifice. The sacrifice being himself. And what a sacrifice that being made only once has satisfied infinite justice for millions of his people. One time. One sacrifice for sin. One Calvary. One God-man hanging on Calvary paid the sin debt of millions of his people. In just those few hours where you and I would spend eternity suffering in hell and never get our sins paid for. Talk about a pearl of great price. Our Lord Jesus Christ is of such infinite value that there's no treasures gathered on the face of this earth can even begin to compare to this one pearl of great price, our Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to Hebrews 10, our last scripture, and look at verses 12 through 14. Hebrews 10, 12 through 14, and we're going to finish. These are important verses, very important. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Well, we know that. From henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool, something's going to happen yet in the future. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified, set apart, called, or chosen. You see, he only had to do it one time. What a marvelous God this is. And then look at verse 17. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Why does he put that in there? Because you and I remember our sins. We ask God to forgive them, but we can't forget them. God forgets them. We can't. That's why you need a new body. That's why you need a new computer disk up there in the memory because that old computer's got all that garbage on it and you can't erase it. But one day, we're going to have new bodies with our new natures, our redeemed souls, and life will just begin for God's people when we go to meet Him in the air. Isn't that grace? Isn't that wonderful? We got a hope. This world is on a toboggan slide to hell, and we have a hope. We're going to be with our Lord. Let's bow our heads. Father, I want to thank you tonight for thy great goodness, mercy to us. What a marvelous, marvelous Redeemer we have. What a great substitute. The God-man that kept the law perfectly, never sinned. Therefore, we have eternal life because he did that for us. 
And then he shed his blood, his perfect, spotless, sinless blood, the only payment price required to pay for sin. And he died on Calvary's cross, shedding his blood. That pays for our sin. Therefore, we have eternal life through him. Therefore, we have forgiveness of sins through him. What a marvelous, marvelous Redeemer. May everyone that listens to this tape or the ones that are here tonight take stock. You have a soul. The Lord Jesus Christ is the only way to get to heaven, to have eternal life. Read carefully. Pray carefully. Be looking and crying unto our Lord Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Because we preach and we pray in his name. Amen.